0: Welcome everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium podcast, another author's shelf episode. Today we are talking Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I am Craig, your host, and with me is Randy Don. Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you
1: so much for having me. I am delighted to be here.
0: You're very welcome. Uh, Before I do all the the introduction stuff and the the, the bios and the books and all that stuff, let me just remind everybody to go to thelegendarium.com, which is where you can find past episodes. You can find the link to our Discord server where you can join in the discussion with other reading nerds, much like yourself. (laughs) And you can also find the link to our Patreon page. Uh, where you'll find an infinite number of goodies that aren't there because really it's just a tip jar. So if you like what you hear, it'd be great if you threw uh, a buck in the tip jar uh, over at Patreon with that being said, okay, let's talk about you for a second, Randy, (laughs) you and I met uh, at Dragonsteel Con, I think it's officially That is correct. Yeah. So that's uh, uh, Brandon Sanderson's convention back in November Mm -hmm. Um, you stopped by the booth and we started talking and and you were telling me about your book that had been compared to Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett. And, uh, and I I, said, I said, I've got an idea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did.
0: (laughs) So uh, yeah, it's your history with Hitchhiker's Guide goes back pretty far, does it?
1: It does actually. So I, I maybe had heard of it, but I had not read it way back when. I was at my cousin's house, and they had the text-based game
0: Mm. of, uh,
1: you know, if anybody's ever done Legends of Zelda way back in the, you know, the old school days when it was just text on a screen, you had to type turn left, turn right. And they said, we had this game. I'm like, ooh. A game. And I thought, all right, I'll play this. And immediately it was clear that if you didn't have any real working knowledge of the book, you were not going to get beyond being mowed down by a bulldozer. So, uh, it was not, it was not, um, logical in the sense that, okay, you've got to get out of the house. Fine. That makes sense. But why would you bring a towel? So like, I so you up, didn't
0: get it because you hadn't read the book.
1: Exactly. So I picked up the book for the first time to play the game, and it still didn't help a ton, but it got me <laughs> into the, the book.
0: I can so, imagine a book this absurd uh, yeah. gave birth to a game equally or more absurd. Exactly. Uh, but uh, the book you wrote, which we will talk about kind of toward the end of this episode, it's called Tune In Tomorrow. Um, and so we're going to get your uh, breakdown of what the book is, uh, a little elevator pitch on that in a little while. Sure. Uh, but the reason I mention all this is because, like I said, it, it's uh, been kindly compared to
1: mm-hmm. the likes
0: of Pratchett and Adams. So. Such
1: Such honor, such an honor, let me tell you.
0: <laughs> so, so, you know, my normal... Question: The first question, as longtime listeners know, my normal first question for an author shelf episode is, "Why did you choose this book?" Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid I kind of spilled the beans on that already, which was we had the conversation. And normally, with an author shelf episode, I just throw the doors wide open and say, mm-hmm. "Let's talk about whatever book you want." Uh, in your case, I, you know, I kind of nudged you and said, "Hey, I've got an idea. Let's do this." But yeah. But tell me why someone else should choose this book or why why they should pick this book up. We'll start with this 30,000 foot view and then dive into the text itself.
1: Right, so it's, okay, so- the thing about Titchhiker's Guide is you can't go into it expecting, you know, uh, a Neil Stevenson size treatise, treat, treatise, treatise on uh, on life and everything, although we do address life, the universe and everything. So in theory, <laughs> he does pack a lot into approximately 150 pages. It's about 150 pages. The story is loosey goosey. But what it really is, is it's just goofy, but it's satire and it 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 plays on your trope on tropes and expectations and has no problem with just going there in weird and wonderful ways that sometimes when you read a book, uh, you'll read a sentence that you may never have thought of or written yourself, but it it lands with you in a Mm. correct way, as though a piece in a puzzle has slid in. And I won't say that's the case with every single sentence Adams writes, but he's (laughs) so on point in some ways about so many things that just click that, um, it all falls together in a very natural way, even, even when he's being over the top and bizarre and strange. Um. You know, he'll talk about making up a drink like the pangalactic gargle blaster. And, <laughs> um, you know, what is it? What is it about? Well, it's an, it's the, it's the best drink in existence. It's an alcoholic drink. Its effects are similar to having your brain smashed out by a slice of lemon wrapped around a large gold brick. <laughs> well, even if you haven't had a pan galactic star gargle blaster, I've made up my own. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think we could, most of us, many of us, maybe not everybody on reading, listening to this, can understand what it means <laughs> to uh, have, have ingested something that makes you feel like you've been hit with a large gold
0: brick. Um, <laughs> wrapped in a lemon. Yeah, <laughs> that's wrapped, fantastic. yeah exactly. And so, that's, yeah. That's the kind of. The kind of phrase uh, as I'm reading Adams and and Pratchett, uh, they kind of live in the same headspace for me, yeah. uh, where you just never know where they're going to take a sentence you know, forget the story as a whole, forget the chapter that you're reading. You don't know where the sentence you're reading is going to end up. And it's such a delight Yeah, uh, when you come up with a phrase like, uh, what was it? A lemon wrapped around a gold brick. Uh, Having your brain
1: (laughs) smashed out by a slice of lemon wrapped around a large gold brick.
0: (laughs) Just like whose brain works this way? I don't know, but it's such a delight (laughs) to to go through it. And Uh,
1: so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to actually no, no, no. say that one of the, one of the things that's interesting about the book is it didn't start as a book. And that may lend uh, to some of its length as well of its kind of loosey goosey episodic feel. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, we do follow a, a story of characters throughout the entire thing, but this started out as a radio show. Right. And it was written by a guy who did not plan to be an author. It was not his goal to be an author. His goal was to write for radio. His goal is to do something funny with science fiction, which when it came out in the late 70s and when he was first thinking about it in the early 70s, really wasn't the commonality. We were very self serious with sci-fi. Um, there was, you know, we just had 2001, A Space Oddity, Odyssey, excuse me, there's Ziggy Tartus. Ziggy yeah,
0: I was is going to the say there. Um,
1: but that was like at the end of the 60s. <laughs> and then um, we had Star Trek, the very first original Star Trek. I mean, everything was very, you know, hopeful and hope punk. and
0: Hope and, punk. Hope yeah. punk. All well, right. I, there's your T-shirt. <laughs> That's, I'm a hope punk. That's hope correct.
1: punk. Uh, and and that was kind of where we were in the 70s. I don't think we were doing a whole lot of humor-based sci-fi stuff. We, it wasn't quite ready to poke fun at itself. And, <laughs> right. And, and in truth, the book does not poke fun at sci-fi. It pokes fun at a million other things, but not sci-fi specifically.
0: Well, I think yeah, it's, as you read Hitchhiker's Guide, um, I mean, you can find endless blurbs and quotes about how it leaves no sci-fi stone unturned you know as far as right. going into the tropes and the cliches uh, but at no point do you feel like it hates those cliches exactly uh, it's it, so it's a it's a love letter kind of similar to uh, if anybody ever watched cabin in the woods um, oh god i
1: loved cabin in the woods it's, yes. it's
0: every horror trope you can possibly imagine crammed into one thing and it's tough to watch that and go man these people really hate these cliches it's yeah. uh you know, um, it's,
1: it, and I think that that's why, that's one of the reasons it works. First of all, if you're going to write a book like this, uh, science fiction fans are going to read it. So if they feel at some point that they're being laughed at or made, 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 making, being made fun of, mm. uh, the book's not going to land. Uh, this may be a little bit of a digression, but there's a movie out now called Tar. It has nothing oh, to do yeah. with science fiction exactly. But uh, we eventually, we, we are essentially focusing on a very famous, very um, pretentious <laughs> very well-regarded um, conductor for orchestras. And I think the thing that drove me nuts about the end of Tar is, uh, and if you don't want to know the ending, uh, please step away for about 30 seconds. Um, Tar falls from grace and eventually is resurrected by conducting an orchestra for basically a room at a science fiction furry convention. You know <laughs> where, And that's meant to be a punchline at the end, like, oh, she's fallen so far. And look, this is how embarrassed she is now that she has to do this. And that kind of ruined the movie for me because right. I thought, you know, it's so easy to, po- to poke fun at a lot of these genres, but they're also the biggest genres in entertainment right now. So why would you do that? And Douglas Adams does not. He clearly loves what he's doing.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. One thing that strikes me about his, the the parody nature of this book um, is that I, I get the sense that he's lambasting a lot of... Uh, issues that were contemporary at the time that are going way over my head. Uh, so I am I know I'm missing a bunch of stuff and that's okay. It's as long as the book is fun and funny and like I, it's fine. I don't have to get every single joke. Um, but as I compare it, I and I inevitably will compare this to Terry Pratchett. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just, you kind of have to. Um, as I compare it to Pratchett, we, we did the truth with uh, Brandon Sanderson uh, a few years ago. Uh, and... In The Truth, it's a book-long commentary on newspapers and, and kind of news generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he sustains it throughout the entire thing. Whereas in Hitchhiker's Guide, maybe because of the, the whole radio play thing that you're talking about, um, we don't get that kind of full book-length treatment. It's every chapter, and it, kind of down to every paragraph, is mm-hmm. a commentary or a joke about something else. And so that you, your brain is kind of working even harder in. Mm -hmm. Douglas Adams to figure out what he's going after at any Mm -hmm. given moment. I don't know. Does that make sense?
1: You know, it does. Um, It's quite possible that I've missed a lot of the uh, a lot of the references and and things that are very topical at the moment. But you know, one of the things to understand about where Adams was coming from, in addition to radio, was that uh, he worked with Monty Python. Okay, and um, he has some credits with them. Meaning of Life was also he had some credits on there. Um, and that, that, that that's not a huge surprise when you think about it, because first of all, I'm a great big Anglophile, and I love all things mm-hmm. humor, Monty Python, that kind of thing. And both, uh, both uh, Monty Python and Adams, and to some extent Pratchett as well, really riffs on this kind of ex- extreme British politeness And also the, the almost Kafkaesque bureaucracy that surrounds things. Mm. And those appear in all of the, uh, in all of their works to such an extent that they, they, that's what they're poking fun of. And I think generally we can look at, um, Things like government overreach and not, you know, not, not, not talking about anybody specific, but just in general things you may not like about the way red tape works
0: and bureaucracy and, all bureaucracy
1: that. And, um and of- officials in authority deciding things that they don't really know what they're doing, but they've been told to do these things. And that comes, I think, out of where. I I am not a historian, but these guys were writing in the early seventies. They were children of the, of the World War II generation. And things really shifted, I think, in, um, in Britain, particularly around that time in terms of questioning authority. You know, in the U.S., it expressed itself in a different way. But in, in, in terms of comedy out of Britain, you saw a lot of this happening all at once, um, from relatively privileged Writers and comedians. I mean, they, they, a lot of these people went to Cambridge or Oxford, <laughs> right? But they—they they, rather than becoming part of the institution, they started making fun of institutions. And one thing that you will notice in um, all three of the, uh, all of their works, but specifically in, in the authors' uh, books, is this rather arch tone they they have kind of this omniscient narrat- narrator who will understand the big picture in right. every circumstance even if individual characters are left in the dark so you kind of feel like you're sitting there being talked being being guided through all of this and they tell you things about aliens or how aliens have interacted with other aliens or how this planet came to be and it doesn't have to do with a specific story exactly but it's a brilliant way to give us some backstory and do satire and not feel like it's um, it's dumping all this information at once on
0: you. Uh, and, and there's, if you were a modern editor, mm-hmm. uh, you're at a publishing house, somebody turns in the manuscript for <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide, you would tear that thing to pieces. Because, first of all, omniscient narrators are not allowed today. And I wish uncool, they were. Very uncool. Oh, man, oh so uncool it's so satisfying (laughs) Uh, if it's done well obviously it can be done poorly and that's probably why it's uh, verboten now but um i i like the omniscient narrator but also if you're the editor you're there are portions where in italics if you're reading in all italics then it's something out of the hitchhiker's guide that they're with them except that it's not because they're you're reading in italics and it's actually the narrator telling you what's in the Hitchhiker's Guide. And then it will seamlessly go into the actual text of the Hitchhiker's Guide. It's just a, a mess, which is fine. It's yeah. one yeah. of those things. I was reading this and like I said, I kind of had the blue pencil in my head was going nuts on the page. <laughs> but it, But when I stopped and thought about it, there was nothing about it that wasn't working. I understood everything that was going on. I I was able to switch perspectives with the narrator, and so uh, you know, I I guess it could have been it could have been very poor, but maybe it's just you're carried along by the humor and you don't care.
1: Yeah, I think anything done well can be done, you know. And if you if you know how if you can if you can dance the dance and dance it well, you can often get away with it. I think I do not know, but I would imagine that after something like this came out. Um, There was probably a lot of aspirational Douglas Adams types who A, (laughs) thought they were funny, and B, just did a lot of info dumping by putting a lot of description in italics as though it was part of a manual. But that was also kind of, I think, a style for a while. We um, Off camera, we talked briefly about Dune, and I'm not trying to get into Dune, but in Dune, (laughs) every chapter is prefaced by a paragraph that essentially ostensibly comes from a known book in the universe or a known guide or a known law or Mm -hmm, an mm -hmm. essay or something like that. And it gives you just a little bit of entree into where we're going next. And uh, again, if you do it well, it works great. And I think there probably were enough people that didn't do it well that editors finally said, all right, you know, nobody gets to do this anymore. You don't know how to play with the toys. Don't don't even pick them up anymore.
0: Uh, Speaking of... People who thought they were funny. <laughs> so sad. <It laughs> so I, I should. Well, no. I should. Uh, I'll back up and say uh, I started the book last night. I finished it this morning. Um, it's a. It's a really quick read. If anybody hasn't re- read it, I, I regret taking until now to do it yeah um i did a whole live stream on this uh gosh that was just yesterday we talked about whether whether must read books exists and if they <laughs> do what would go on the list you know and would this go on the list so and, I and, to
1: inter- and to r- interrupt you really quick if you yeah. have seen the movie you have not read the book right. if you've seen the tv show version you've also not read the book all these versions are slightly different that's mm-hmm, one of the things mm-hmm. no but i'm sorry go ahead
0: no, that's fine. Anyway, so I'm reading the book this morning, and I, I'm dying laughing. I'm'm I'm, you know, it's ten o'clock in the morning. I'm still sitting in bed, just just you know losing my mind at some of the comedy. Um, and my wife says, what, well, you know what what is so funny?" And I said, part of it is the humor of the book. And then mm-hmm. part of it is i'm I'm laughing out of the despair of knowing that I'm not funny. Like this, this is, no, it's fine. I, I don't mean, <laughs> yes, it does sound like I'm fishing here. No, what I mean is, this is a, a special kind of brain that works this way that can spit out mm-hmm. these kind of sentences and scenarios. Um, in fact, I'll go to our Discord comments. We uh, Somebody asked, Atrocity24 says, do you have a favorite passage or joke or scene? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't mark down all of the ones that I, I really loved, but um, It takes a special kind of brain to write something like this. Uh, Let's see. Okay. Arthur stared after him, not knowing what to say. Now, said Benji Mouse, to business. Ford and Zaphod clinked their glasses together. To business, they say. (laughs) (laughs) I beg your pardon, said Benji. Ford looked round. Sorry, I thought you were proposing a toast. Uh, You know, (laughs) it's the the clever little word plays. The stuff about... um, about dolphins and mice and, it, you know, interdimensional mice <laughs> who are protruding into our dimension in right. the form of, my, you know, just...
1: And they've been experimenting on us. We haven't been able to actually, yeah. we actually been experimenting on them.
0: Um, exactly. It, it, yeah. So my, I, as, as, as I say, I'm not funny. What I mean is my brain could never come up with just some of the bizarre stuff that they do the word plays and the situations that they come up with or that he comes up with um and it's you know like other types of exploration through reading Mm -hmm. it's extremely satisfying to put yourself in somebody else's brain and see what it can do that yours can't and i just had so much fun with that yeah (laughs) Do you have any favorite favorite uh, moments, passages, jokes in the book?
1: Oh, you know, um and there are many there are many of them, but being able to pull any one individual out is really tough. Um I I, I think that I have lived so long with the whole idea of um spending 7 million building a computer uh, <laughs> and spending 7 million years waiting for the answer to life the life uh you know, life the universe and everything, which is something that happens in the book. And then getting the answer, which uh, this is not exactly a plot spoiler because I do not know that one can spoil the plot of Hitchhiker's Guide to <laughs> the Galaxy. <laughs> no,
0: that's not a thing. <laughs>
1: but having waited seven million years, the answer arrives, and the answer is forty-two. And then the question, and then and that 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 is that makes everybody so furious. We've waited all this time, and you give us that answer, and and the computer is, essentially says, "Well, do you actually know what the question is?" Then they have to start over again with a new computer that's even bigger and more important and will take 10 million years to figure out what the question is, which then does double back to the beginning of the book. And, um, you know, again, we can talk spoiler than everything Oh, yeah,
0: go for it. The
1: bigger computer that is built to discover the answer to all of this. The question uh, the question, yeah, thank you. The question to forty-two um, is actually Earth. Earth was not a planet. Earth was a constructed larger computer, and uh, it, it was it was made to come up with the answer that the question that would be the answer to the forty-two. Anyway, um, unfortunately, <laughs> in the very first few pages of *Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy*, Earth is destroyed to make way uh, for a bypass, and. So the whole thing is just before they are able to get their, their question to the answer, it is gone. And to me, it's more about the big concepts that just make me laugh all the time that, um, because that is how bureaucracy works. You have people who do not know what they're doing, who don't really care what they're doing, who are maybe being paid to do something, and they show up and they say, we're just going to do this, and I don't, we don't care if it gets in your way or if you've been waiting 10 million years for the right question. Uh, we've got to put a bypass bypass through here.
0: And For the greater good.
1: For the greater good. <laughs> um, so it's more the big picture stuff, I think, that has really stuck with me over the years that... Um, I, d- I just love and I love the sentient mice and all of that. I mean, there's there's a, there's a few little nitpicky things y- you could you could pull at with the book. I mean, it's it's very short on female characters. Um, we have we have one human character mm-hmm. named Trillian. And then there's some references to other women throughout, but they are not actual characters per se. And that's pretty much it. So I think if it was written today, I would, I would, and, and, and Adams called me for advice, which he would not do, but <laughs> if he had, if, if he had an interest, I would say, can we get maybe another, another woman or so in there who actually has, is a character as opposed to somebody who just floats by.
0: That As I understand it, and I wasn't uh, a Cambridge or Oxford educated guy back in the sixties and seventies, but no. as I understand the landscape back then, that was the ultimate boys club for, mm-hmm. you know uh, generations <laughs> up to that point. So yeah. it kind of, you know, you, you read something like this or, you know, heck you can go to Tolkien and be like, why didn't you have more women in your, in your band of adventurers? And right. it's like, well, that's cause he didn't see any of that. You know, that's what yeah. crossed his mind. Anyway. Oh no,
1: D- Adams is not alone in all of this for oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but when we talk a lot about these days with, you know, strong female characters and, and more diversity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is, this book Come is, is a great book, but it comes out of an era where that was not so much the consideration.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's, I, I don't know. I, I know everybody's different with their sensibilities around this sort of thing, but as long as I know when the book was published, I, I don't have a problem with that. As long as I can process in my own mind, why that would be the case. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't tend to bother me uh, yeah. as long as I can put it in historical context. Right. Well, Randy, should we go to do some more uh, Discord questions and comments? Please, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, let's see what people want us to talk about. Um, Oh, okay, so (laughs) Murph1976. Although it serves as a standalone novel, it's also part of a series. Are the panelists interested in reading further? Have you read the whole series?
1: I have not completed the series, but, um, you know, the thing is I had the individual standalone book for a while, so it actually would take mm. an active effort to pull in more books. But now what I have bought for myself in in preparation for all of this is to reread ah. it. This, com- this is the ultimate, and it comes with all of the books, which nice. include The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, Life, the Universe, mm-hmm. and Everything, So Long and thanks for all the fish and mostly harmless. Um, there's also apparently in this book a bonus story called Young Young Zaphod Plays It Safe. So there's there's even stuff in here. there's also an introduction from Neil Gaiman. And an introduction mm. from uh, Adams himself explaining how it all came to be so right. um, it's, a, it's a good it, I, I would say if you're just starting out you might want to try the first book but once you're sold on the first book because you will be go buy all of them at once just so you can read it I can't say that every single one is meant to be as great as the first one but that's rarely the case right but once you're once you've once you're kind of got the uh, the bug for his kind of humor, You'll, you want to keep reading. I've already started reading the second one again, and I'm moving. I'm going to move through all of them. I'm just going to read them all.
0: I myself, uh, picked up, uh, I, I, do the used bookstore thing a lot. So I found this, uh, 10th anniversary edition. So it's 1989. Uh, the book was originally published in 79. So this mm-hmm. is the 89 version. It's got the Adams intro, uh, but it's, it is standalone, uh, in itself Yeah. for myself. I'm actually a little bit hesitant, um, to to rip through the rest of the books because you know again comparing it uh to who was I comparing it to the, uh Terry Pratchett so I yeah. gotta look on my bookshelf for all the names <laughs> uh comparing it to Pratchett um it's it's such a nice refuge from mm. heavier and more difficult and emotional and violent books or whatever the the, the stuff that uh, that I do often read this humor, this style of humor is such a good refuge from that. I don't want to waste it. There's a part <laughs> of me that wants to kind of just save more Hitchhiker's Guide and save more Discworld for when I, when I need it. Yeah, I'm um, I- like and, that too. And I, I do worry that if I, you know, I, I read 150 pages of, of Adams and if I read 800 pages of Adams, I might tire of the humor style. It's possible, Uh, you know. So, so I'm hesitant to jump right in, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely one of those things where I'll pick up copies of the other books and hold them in reserve for when I feel like I need them.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a bit like you know, once you discover a really great chocolate, you don't want to eat nothing but chocolate. You want to savor it. You want to take a little bit at a time.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, All right. So, Red Aumerlin asks, or sorry, Red Army Ian. (laughs) <laughs> wow, I read that wrong. I'm, I'm in wheel of time mode right now. Uh, Red Army Ian has, asks, "Why are towels so important?" <laughs> which is probably just a joke. That's sending a, a just a just for a fun reference our way. But yes. I had a thought on this when uh-huh. I saw the question come through, right. which is. Uh, a uh, series that we're reading right now, speaking of, uh, you know, deadly, serious and uh, violent and all that, we're reading Joe right. Abercrombie. Oh, my uh, gosh. OK. So, yeah, we're, we're going through the the Joe, the first Joe Abercrombie trilogy right now. And it starts in one of its first chapters in the first book. It has the crippled character climbing up stairs or going mm-hmm. downstairs. I can't remember. And right. as he he ruminates for a page or two on the nature of stairs and how much he hates stairs and how his body doesn't cooperate with stairs. And it's written so interestingly and so well that it actually kind of changes the way I think about stairs. You know, I, I don't quite take my ability to go up and down stairs for granted anymore. And, right. you know, that's, that's one of the powers of really good writing. Mm-hmm. And the towel thing, as absurd and stupid as this sound sounds, Kind of did the same thing for me, mm-hmm. where I was like, "Hold on a second, that's true. Yeah. Towels are incredibly useful,"
1: <laughs> and, and that and that's basically the point. I mean, this this again, you don't want to you don't want to explicate comedy too much because, uh, like E. B. White says, analyzing humor is like dissecting a frog. Very few people are interested, and then the frog dies of it. <laughs> right. But in term if you take the towel and you were to look at the towel in the purpose in, in the context of the entire book the towel is a perfect example of why adams works because he takes something incredibly mundane but also a little funny you know towels are funny um and also something that it's just everybody has one and then explains why you would need a towel with you among anything else you might carry with you through the universe <laughs> because it has so many different uses. And some of these uses are uh, all about aliens and protecting yourself from aliens. Some of them are very, you know, quotidian. Uh, and Hey, you know, you can towel yourself down. Um, you can use it a hat. So it did the idea, like you say, that it has so many different purposes it, to, to read the explanation about why the towel is, is, is useful in the book is, is a perfect encapsulation of what, makes Adams
0: work. Exactly. Yeah, it's um, I heard somewhere years and years ago that uh, if you want, if you want good comedy, you have to find the drama within it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you want good drama, if you want to write good drama, you have to find the comedy within it. Um, And there's something there where it's like, you know, he's being absurd and he's being bizarre and just weird. But. He finds little kernels of things that yes. it, the little kernel of truth that makes the absurdity actually work.
1: And, and uh, another thing, to, it's it's it, it. Although this is obviously a book that anybody can read of any culture of any whatever, I mean, it would be a very different book if if it if it, if it, if it was an American Hitchhiker's Guide.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. the, the
1: Britishness is baked into this, and the quaintness of the towel is an example of that. I think you know, aside from the fact that the American version would have a whole lot more guns. Um, it, a lot of the humor just simply wouldn't land properly. It lives in this this little British bubble that is is kind of perfect on
0: its own. Yeah, more guns, but maybe fewer nukes.
1: It, <laughs> you know. I, was, I it's possible yeah a lot th- less tea though more coffee
0: well <laughs> uh, true yeah uh to, to whoever asked what was it atrocity 24 asked about favorite jokes and passages and scenes mm-hmm. the nuclear warhead that gets transformed into a whale that then yeah uh <laughs> but that then <laughs> gains sentience as it plummets toward the surface of the planet one of the funnier things i think i've ever read in my life
1: but even funnier it also transforms into a uh, a jar of
0: a petunias to to which two also warheads. gains sentience
1: yeah. and as it plummets the only the only thought the get the thing of petunias has is not again <laughs> which i mean you know it's just pick the thing the weirdest thing possible and it just lands
0: uh, let's see d fraiden Uh, asks, let's see, assuming we've read far enough to know the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything, what do you think the actual question might be? Um, and I, you know, I thought about this, what, you know, what would your question be that would be answered by 42? (laughs) And I, again, my brain isn't as funny as Douglas Adams and I can't come up with anything better than the lyrics to, uh, (laughs) blown in the wind. (laughs) That's fair. I don't. Do you do you have any do you you have your own question that would be answered by forty two?
1: Well, I won't say it was the best year of my life, but it was a good year. I I am older than forty two, and I will tell you that at the age of forty two, I got married for the first time. Oh wow! I uh, I started really getting into writing fiction professionally for the first time. Uh, a lot of things came together at 42. You know, people talk about oh, the 20s being awesome. And my friends and I are constantly saying we would not want to be 20 again.
0: <laughs> 20 is hard. Hard, hard pass. Hard yeah. pass. Yeah, 42 so. sounds like it was a good year for you. There
1: so you that, go. That would that would be a, that would be part that'd be part of my question. I think. Uh,
0: let's see. We've kind of addressed this. Chesky asks, does the humor and style translate well to book form because it was originally a radio comedy? Um, yeah, it works fine for me. Like I said earlier, it's messy. Um, yeah maybe because of that, but who cares? The idea uh, is just not if you do
1: listen to the other versions or watch the other versions, just understand that there is there's almost really no one canonical version. You can say the book is, but the book came after the first thing. so if you're looking yeah. for the ultimate whatever, just understand that this is this is good enough that it works across multiple multiple media, and that's not something you can say about a lot of a lot of books or movies or t v or anything. It works in its right. little niche. And outside that, it's, it's, it's like a pale comparison, but not here.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see. Cody, Cody, question mark, asks, <laughs> uh, Let's does the, sure. hum- <laughs> does the humor still work for a modern American audience? <laughs> uh, and we, we did kind of talk about this already. It's, uh, this humor is very in line with British absurdist comedies like Monty Python. Um, and many of the jokes and references may go over people's heads. Um, I mean, one thing be I would difficult say if, for others to get into. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, I'm sorry to interrupt. But I, what I was going to say is that, um, you know, one thing we haven't explained is exactly what the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is now, of course, it's the title of the book, but in the book. It's it's a it's a small device that care that contains millions and millions and millions of pages that is basically your guide. Oh, if you're on this planet, you need to know this. If you're on that planet, you don't need to know that. And one of the main characters is a guy who goes from planet to planet and, and reports back and, and sends in his reports so that it goes in the guide. But what's interesting to me is this comes out in '79, which was still very proto Internet but it's kind of an inter- it's kind of like your cell phone oh in a it's way. a
0: straight up cell phone
1: it doesn't yeah. make calls it may not store your <laughs> photos but it has the the knowledge of the universe in it so you know yes on the one hand we don't talk about the internet in this in the book and you could say internet is one of those things that divides old books from new books or old stories from new stories but he was so forward-thinking, he had a very good sense of what containing the knowledge of a universe might be in a small handheld device.
0: And, of course, for him, it's um, it's kind of a, a clever delivery device for a, an exposition and humor and, right. and all of that stuff. It's just kind of um, – it. yes, it's the title of the book, but the device itself is literally throwaway at several – Portions of the book. Yeah, uh, it's just this throwaway little thing where, you know, again, if you were to write this now and give mm-hmm. somebody the sum of human knowledge in their hand, you would know exactly what you were writing about, and you would probably have commentary accordingly about, right. you know, how this device ruined all of society forever, yeah, <laughs> uh, or, or whatever. Not that I have any opinions on the subject. <laughs> He says as he reaches toward the phone, he's absolutely addicted to. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Always within see. arm's reach. <laughs> uh, oh, back on, uh, okay. So back on the towel thing, yeah. Kiptan asks, do you travel well? What's your weird thing that you have to bring on a trip? <laughs> Ooh, so if it's not a towel, do you have a weird mm. thing you have to bring on a trip? I got to think mm. about this. Personally, I travel very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of the reason for that is because I know how to pack light. Mm. Um, very, very light. Uh so here's here's how I travel well. It's not what I take with me, it's what mm-hmm. I bring back. So, mm-hmm. for instance, I just went down on a trip to uh, California and I took my carry-on bag and I packed it in my suitcase and then checked that sent it down to California so that when I came back I would have room for books <laughs> and drinks and, you know, whatever other things that I would pick up while I was there and right. bring back with me. That's how, so it's not what I take with me. It's what I uh, bring back. That's how I travel well.
1: That is a nice way to flip that around. Honestly, I I don't know that I carry anything that's particularly weird. I- I have found myself trying to ensure that I have a little bit of everything that I might need, like, oh, if I need an ibuprofen, should I, I'll take three of those pills, you know, as if I couldn't possibly get it anywhere else where I'm going. Um, Yeah, the weird, I'm trying to think this is a weird thing that I take, I do have as a permanent addition to my uh, case with all of my, you know, pills and and creams and uh, things like that. I, I do have a sewing kit. Um, it's one of those little, it's one of those uh, little tiny ones that you would get mm-hmm. as a, as a bonus from a, from place, And it just has a select number of string of string and needles and things like that. I almost never use it. I, I really, it's very rare that I come across a moment where I'm like, oh, I need to sew that thing up. But I feel like it's one of those devices that if I was in a diehard situation, it would be necessary somehow. And I love having it there just in case. So Absolute, maybe that's yes. a weird
0: thing. It's one of those things where uh, you're sitting on the airplane. Mm-hmm. Okay, and maybe this is just me. <laughs> I'm sitting. I'm sitting on the airplane, and my imagination. I may not be funny, but I have a very vivid imagination, oh. and I will come up with scenarios where, by the time the plane lands, the zombie apocalypse has happened and everything has <laughs> gone to hell. And you know, and boy, am I glad that I that I brought X. X. You know, right. So there's your. And uh, unfortunately, I travel too light to. Uh, I should probably have more suitcases for that. But, I, I try
1: to travel light, but I keep on thinking <laughs> I need options. What? I can't wear the same
0: dress twice. What? So. Oh man. You know, speaking of, uh, of him traveling well, Arthur, the, mm-hmm. uh, well, do we have a main character? He's a main character in the he's, book.
1: He's, he's our entree character is the way there I look at go. it. He's, he's the one that brings us into the world of all the other aliens. He's the one he's, and he's not the only human, but he's the main human.
0: I will say on this, uh, this idea of, him traveling you know he has his bathrobe and he's got mm-hmm. his towel and whatever else um one thing that that uh it, it bugged me a little not enough for me to actually get upset about it mm-hmm. but it bugged me a little that after the earth is vaporized right he just kind of goes on he's like yeah it's it just whatever okay i guess i'm along for this right now <laughs>
1: you know <laughs>
0: although I, yeah. the Adams did use it uh That moment for one incredible bit of comedy where he thinks about all of his friends, gone, no reaction. Mother, gone, no reaction. And then he thinks about McDonald's and faints dead on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) No more McDonald's hamburgers.
1: (laughs) You know, you have to handle that delicately. Um, You're going to do a comedy book, but you're going to wipe out. Pretty much 99.9.9% <laughs> of all humanity in the first pa- few pages, but it's still a comedy and you're not going to have characters who are, you know, experiencing PTSD or anything like that. <laughs> right,
0: so right.
1: you got to walk carefully with that. And he, he does it really well because he could spend the whole rest of the book making that a problem.
0: Exactly. Right. Well, anyway. All right. Should we do let's do a last question. Uh, another one from Murph 1976, who asks, what do you think of Earth's entry in the guide?
1: <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly what they say. Okay. I know it's like a, you, you read it after. The, me.
0: Originally, originally, the uh, I know because I just read it this morning. <laughs> so originally, the entry was harmless. Right. That's Mo- the Mo- entire Mo- entry. And, and then the harmless. guy who's uh, uh, the, the secondary character Ford. Who takes Ford. Yeah, Thank Ford, you. Yeah. Ford uh, is on Earth to spruce up the death or the, the entry for Earth in The Hitchhiker's Guide. And he's stuck there for 15 years. And in those 15 years, the uh, the modification that he's able to make to the entry is to make it mostly harmless. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I lost my mind on this because it's one of the things that I think British humor does really well, especially mm-hmm. um, post-imperial British humor, mm-hmm. is like, as maybe this has to do, and maybe I'm getting too philosophical and, and stretching back too far here, but I think it has to do with the fact that Britain was the center of the world for a long time and then it wasn't. And right. they, as a culture, they had to deal with that. But one of the things it does is they often, like in moments like this, they take all of humanity and say, How important do you really think you are? Like, right. how. Do you really think that we as humans or that you as an individual or, you know, this community or nation or whatever, do you really think it matters that much? And they just puncture that really well. And so we you'll you'll read books that are really they can get very preachy about, oh, you know, humans tendency to wage war. And um, and it's like, yeah, uh, of, of course we do that. Mm-hmm. And this is a way for them to say so. <laughs> or for, right. for Adams to say, so do you really yeah. think that, that that makes humanity more important or noteworthy or something? No, it's, it's still just a speck in the universe. Right. Mostly harmless is, is that skewer going through humanity's ego.
1: I yeah, like, it's it's the it's a modern day equivalent to Copernicus saying, "No, actually, we revolve around the sun. Right? Uh, not, we are not the center of the universe." And cope with that for a while. You know, it's 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 this understated kind of like, you know, you you are you, you not you're not as important as you think you are.
0: Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Randy, any final thoughts? We're going to wrap up our discussion on Hitchhiker's Guide. So, any final thoughts on this book? maybe how you would encourage others to read it or who you would encourage it to, that sort of thing.
1: <laughs> you know, I think by saying, anytime you say something is great, it's a great book, it's a great movie, you've gotta see it, you gotta read it. My, my response to that, just because I'm a contrary person is often like, oh yeah, prove it. In this case, I think the best idea to go into Hitchhiker's Guide is um, that you will decide for yourself whether you think it's great or not. It may not be for everybody. Not everybody likes this kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it's not so much a story as a bunch of things that happen. Uh, it's, but that doesn't matter too much. And that's the important thing. It's just so weird and wacky and keeps on going into deeper satire along with the jokes that yes, you are following a a traditional linear narrative, but it's, again, it's, it's a bunch of stuff that happens that makes you laugh along the way and maybe makes you reconsider the importance of things you hadn't considered before. Like, you know,
0: towels. Towels. There you go. (laughs) Here, here. Um, I, I don't have any more like deep final thoughts, but I will say, I wish dearly that we had gotten Ryan on this episode. Um, you met him at, mm-hmm. uh, at Dragonsteel. If only because, it, you know, and this could work for Ken and for Todd and for Megan and for Stephanie, they're all very into uh, community theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the odd man out on the podcast, but there was this great passage. Um, Still, he knew what he had to do. As the Vogon craft screamed through the air high above him, he opened his satchel. He threw away a copy of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor dream coat. <laughs> he threw away a copy of Godspell. Yeah. He wouldn't need them where he was going. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I, I died just thinking of uh, everybody, <laughs> every other panelist on this show who really needs to read that line and react to it on uh, on Mike. So one day I will make them do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, to everybody still here, and I'm sure you all are, uh, (laughs) after our riveting discussion of Hitchhiker's Guide, uh, I do want to give uh, people a chance to hear a little bit about Tune In Tomorrow. Randy, this is your latest book that came out a few months ago. And uh, what's your book about? Give us an elevator pitch.
1: Right. So it's, it's actually my debut novel. I have written a lot of short stories and some nonfiction, but this is my debut novel. It's called Tune In Tomorrow. And it is about a reality TV show run by mythical creatures, for mythical creatures, but starring humans. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm an entertainment writer. And I was just sort of thinking one day, well, you know, when we watch TV, we like to watch a lot of genre stuff that's got castles and dragons and magic and wands and spells. And it it occurred to me that that's not the kind of thing that they would want to watch if they were watching TV. That's boring, mundane stuff. They would want to watch the stuff that's really exotic to them. Like, you know, stories about adultery or embezzlement or writing checks, you know, the mundane (laughs) things going back to the towel again, The mundane things. They would be fascinated by that kind of stuff because they don't really use that stuff. That's all weird and wacky to them. Um, and I'm an entertainment journalist, like I said, so I've I've seen the sausage get made. I I will not confirm or deny if any of these characters are based on people I've actually met. <laughs> um, but they uh, they um, that that is the story. Basically, we have a young actor who is hired uh, after she can't get work anywhere else, and she sort of learns how to work with this show and has to solve a mystery and has to. St- try and save the show, which is kind of crumbling around her. And, you know, it's much more fantastical than uh Hitchhiker's Guide. But the thing about it, the thing is with Hitchhiker's Guide, you have all these weird and wacky aliens who just very easily could have been weird and wacky mythical creatures. I mean, this, you know, there's not a lot of science <laughs> in in the science of Hitchhiker's Guide. Let's put it that way.
0: Um, Smartphones so yeah, aside. Yeah. Right. No,
1: that's fantastic. And it's funny, you know. In it, it, I, I think it's funny. Uh, people have told me it's funny. You should decide for yourself. But uh, <laughs> Publishers Weekly said, if you like Douglas Adams and if you like uh, Terry Pratchett, you will like this book.
0: Well, there you go. It's, so that's how we know it's a book I couldn't write uh, because it's funny, and I'm not funny, as we've established. Thank you very much. Uh, no, it sounds like is it the kind of thing where you're just you're putting. Everyday things under the microscope—the way that we talk about, like, oh, if aliens came down and landed today, they'd have a lot of questions about <laughs> razors. <laughs> you know, like why? Yeah. Why do you shave your armpits? Eh, whatever.
1: It's interesting. It's a, a little bit because I think that, and again, I was not trying to model myself off of off of Adams. He's he's the original, and I'm not trying to compare there. But um, you know, you kind of do these Trojan horses of when you're when you're doing funny stuff. Uh, you can sneak in more serious conversations and. There's two things that I end up discussing in the book, in you know, in, in different differing ways, but one of which is the concept of of, of truth and reality. I mean, in, in our modern day, there are people who have decided they have their own truths and they live in their own realities. And uh, the care the characters in who the mythical characters who watch the show tune in tomorrow that we are told that they believe that it's real that this is really how humans act. And if you were to <laughs> hang out with humans, they would behave just as they do on this show. But the show, of course, is very heightened reality, just like reality shows and soap operas mm. are. Um, so there's at one point the main character, who's the actor, runs into a fan. And, uh, she, you know, she feels bad because when he greets her, he greets her as, her as her character name. He seems to think this is a real thing. And she pulls him aside at one point and says, you know that this isn't this isn't actually really happening. And he says, you know, it's real enough. So like they know it's not real but they're willing to sort of play along they're almost larping or cosplaying mm. along with it. Mm. Um so I get to have that kind of conversation in there too. And then the second part is that uh when you're uh, when you are on the show if you're on long enough and you win an award. The very first award you win uh for be- for your performance on the show is that your age freezes. So you will not age as long as you are continuing to be on the show. So some of these people have been on the show for you know 100 years, 80 years or whatever. And that gives me an opportunity that gave me an opportunity to talk about the nature of immortality and what it's like to have the real world, our world move on without you, you know, when your friends Mm. die, when your loved ones go away, you know, you feel an alien in your own world, you become almost your own mythical creature. And it's again, these things are not explored in great depth but it was great to be able to have those discussions and at least raise the issues. Mm. So I think that, you know, kind of what with Adams does in terms of the nature of bureaucracy and all of that. Um, I'm trying to sort of sneak those in there. I'm probably not nearly yeah. as subtle or as funny as him in those areas, <laughs> but that was the aim.
0: Hey, you know, we we'll find out because <laughs> I've got my copy of the book ordered. So I'll be reading oh, yay. it. Yay. Um, and people should do the same. Go to, uh, in fact, I'll link to your website in right. the show notes, Um, And so people can go check out the book. It's called Tune In Tomorrow. Uh, And Randy Dawn, thank you so much for reading Hitchhiker's Guide with me and finally giving me an excuse to do it.
1: (laughs) It's my pleasure.
0: And it's uh, fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you very Uh, much. You're welcome. And to everybody else, just one last reminder, thelegendarium.com is where you can go for all the stuff I mentioned before, Discord, Patreon, uh, past episodes. In fact, there is a page there for the author shelf series. And so if you enjoy these discussions, uh, we've got, gosh, it's gotta be coming up on a couple of dozen of them now. So, So go check out the archives of the author shelf and I will see you all next time.